of meeting the needs of each other, but how can we meet each other's deepest need? Because one thing we'll discover is this, when we meet our spouse's deepest need, it's connecting or we will connect with their very heart. Some of you may be in marriage for 30 years and you still haven't really connected to that person's heart truly. Why? Because we haven't met the deepest need. Now, you may be sitting here tonight and say, okay, pastor, all well and good. If I'm married, I am not married. So what does this series, what is this that you're going to discuss? How does it help me? Well, listen, if you're not married, I think you need to take as many notes as if you were married. Because how much better is it to learn the principles and put them into play in your life before marriage so that you can be prepared for a successful marriage? I think it's better to learn beforehand and better be prepared because it helps us avoid the pitfalls before they even arise in our lives. So there's another group. So you've got those who are married. You've got those who are still not yet married. But then you've got another group that I still want to talk to over the next few weeks. And that is those who feel that they have a good marriage. People may say, well, I've got a good marriage, so I don't need to know all these kind of things. But here's the tendency when you have a good marriage, and that is this. It's works, so why try to fix it? It's working, so why try to fix it? It's great to have a good marriage, but why settle when you can have a great marriage? Come on, it's been said that good is greatest's worst enemy because a lot of the time we settle for good where God wants us to have greatness in our lives. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So what I'm trying to say is this. The principles we are going to talk about over the next few weeks, they are principles that will work in every area of your life. Not just your marriage, in business, in your relationships, and with friendships, and just every aspect with your family. When you put these principles to work, they will work in your life. But you've got to put them to work. Faith without works is, we've got to put these things to work. So if we truly love each other, and I pray that you do, and I pray that you're going to fall in love in a greater way with your spouse or spouse-to-be. If you truly love each other, then you owe it to each other to make a fresh commitment to your marriage, to your family, and to your future. Yes, that commitment will involve work and it will involve effort. Why? Because we need to change. How many would be the first to put their hands up and say, I need to change in areas in my life? I need to change. I just held up a little bit just to make sure my wife put her hand up. I'm only playing. 
But we all need to change. She is absolutely fantastic. I'm the problem, not her. But, you know, we, we all need to change. But when we make a commitment to these things, it's going to require effort. But I think that our spouses are worth every effort that we could ever make, don't you? They're worth the investment that we're going to put in. So tonight we're going to basically lay a foundation just to build on or to build off of upon for the next few weeks. So let's begin the adventure together. Most of what you're going to hear tonight, you've probably already read in your devotional in these past two days. And that's okay because they still tell us the best form of learning is repetition. So tonight we're going to begin by looking at problems. Are you ready for problem number one? Problem number one can be found in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4. And the Bible says, And he, Jesus, answered, and he said unto them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them both male and female? If you would look in small print under that verse, it says, from different planets. Not really. But sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? Hello? God made man as male and female. God made us different, but not as a mistake, but by divine plan. But why? Why did God make us different? I believe one of the main reasons God made us different is so together we can complement each other. That together we can bring uniqueness into our marriage, but together we can complete each other. That we can make the full circle instead of just being a semi-circle. That we can have completeness in our marriage. How is male... Or how is therefore this male and female thing, how has it become an issue? Has anyone got anything they would like to say? Come on, how has it become an issue in our marriages, in life in general, male and female? Anyone got anything they want us to talk about? Come on, help me out in here. How has it become an issue, Stephen? Uh, Male and female see things differently, like certain problems or just one question can be seen in two different ways. Okay, so the male and female issue means we see things differently. Anyone else? Miss Odessa? Yes, Pastor, and just like you brought out in the little book, it shows that the women are made thinking in pink and seeing in pink and hearing in pink. The man is seeing in blue and hearing in blue, just like what he said. A lot of times the male does not understand the female. Come on, come on. Okay, Mr. Dan? Men have the answer. Women have the right answer. (laughs) Wow, he got out of that one real quick. I was getting worried. I was getting worried. Men have the answer. The answer is yes, dear. Uh Uh-oh. Watch out. Watch out. Anyone else got something? Mr. Nee? Men are wired to try to fix the problem, whereas women want to just talk about it. They don't necessarily want somebody to fix it for them. They need somebody to listen, and that's a big difference there. Okay, cool. Miss Martha? God, God made men to be head, and um, women just don't get it. We want to be equal with men, but he gave man, made man head of everything, even the name, everything we eat, whatever. And 
He made women at a help mix, so we have to understand. I think we the hard-headed one. We don't want to understand. We want to be equal with men, most of us. But, hey, to quote, to, to quote Miss D, Miss D is not here tonight, but to quote Miss D, she says, my husband is the head of the house, but I'm the neck. That cool? Think about that. The head can't move without the neck, huh, Doug? Go ahead, Miss Linda. Diana, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, I first met the man. He did take the part back to the union. Okay. Uh, they said in the, in the Lord, because some men are not in the Lord. Okay. Therefore, some men have a big ego, and they don't think before they make a decision. Okay. So we could almost look, could we not? We could almost look and say, hey, hold on a second, God. You created a major problem from the word get-go with making us different. Come on, we've heard how different we are so oftentimes. But as a result, what therefore tends to be the outcome of our differences? Come on, who can help me out here? What are some of the outcomes of our differences being male and female? I'll give you one. Sometimes we can't understand each other. Come on, anyone else? Got anything that you want to say? Okay. Sorry, coming here. You had a little, or Nancy had a little note outside the door that said, first God made man, and then God took a rest, and then he made woman, and man got that rest since. <laughs> I like that. That is good. Go ahead, Mr. Diane. Okay, okay. So therefore, it's created flavor. It's created flavor to life. Sometimes not the greatest taste in flavor, but yet a flavor that gives it some savor in life. But here's the deal. I think a result that has tended to outcome with the fact of us being male and female is this, that we have come to a place sometimes that we're convinced ourselves that we will never understand each other. And therefore, sometimes actually give up trying to. We're different, so that's it. So we get to a place where we don't or we're unwilling to try and understand each other in a better need. So what happens when we're not willing to understand each other, we push each other away. And we say that your feelings and what you want are not important. But you see, there's something that I've discovered too in life, and that is this. If you know everything about your spouse the day you get married, your life is probably going to be pretty boring. Because one of the joys of marriage is discovering new things about each other along the journey that you can enjoy life together, that you discover more to love and more to be connected with. And when I'm talking about discovering more, I'm not talking about discovering secrets that they didn't tell you. You know, it's like the illustration of the people who are walking in the mall and all of a sudden this little red-headed little boy runs up and puts his arms around this guy's legs and goes, Hey, Daddy, watch out. That mother didn't know about that. And we can watch. It's not discovering things at that. But what we need to realize is there is so much in each other because we are different that makes us lovable and makes us exciting to love. But notice what Jesus goes on to say in that next verse. We read Matthew 19, verse 4. 
But notice what he says in verse 5. So he makes us separate. He makes us different. He makes us male and female. But then he goes on to say in verse 5, and he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And notice the next few words. And the two shall now become one flesh. The two shall become one flesh. Read it again because it did not say or it does not say that the two will become the same person. Doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say that all of a sudden, bam, they'll become the same person. That they'll look alike, that they'll think alike, that they'll become alike. Remember, we're still male and female, not wrong, we're just different. So two separate personalities, male and female, come together, the Bible says, as one flesh. Now having one goal. And that goal is to live together and to meet each other's deepest need. Which we will discover over the next few weeks that the man's deepest need is so far apart from the woman's deepest need. They are so different. So problem number one, we're male and we're female. Problem number two, because we are different, male and female, that means that we hear different, we see different, and we speak different. The best illustration I can use here is one that was already mentioned by Miss Odessa. But when a lady sees, she sees through pink sunglasses. When a lady speaks, she speaks through a pink megaphone. When she hears, she hears through pink hearing aids. Which is all well and good. Until you add the second part of the equation, the man, the male. Because we don't see through pink, we see things through blue sunglasses. We speak through a blue megaphone and we hear through blue hearing aids. So what happens as a result of our differences? That means so often that two good-willed people who are striving for the same goal can sometimes be totally misunderstood in our quest of how to get there. The way she sees his approach may not be how she thinks it should be, so she's mad. What he hears her say, he misinterprets and he reads it wrong and he shuts down and he pushes her away. She hears a word that he spoke. She's wounded by his words. Why? Because she sees, hears, speaks different. He speaks, hears, and sees different. Let me give you an an example for this. When a woman says these words, I don't have anything to wear, what does that mean? A woman means, could be that she doesn't like anything in her closet, but most of the time when a woman says, I've got nothing to wear, she means I've got nothing new to wear. Okay? What happens when a man says he has nothing to wear? He's not talking about he's got nothing new to wear. A man is talking about he's got nothing clean to wear. The same words... 
but yet meaning so different things. Why? Not wrong. We are just just different. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're not wrong. We're just different. So first problem, we're male and female. The second problem is we're different. And the third problem is this. Because we are different, we have different needs. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33. In Ephesians 5 verse 33, in fact this passage previous to this verse, you will see that people have said this is God's last words to the church in regards to marriage. If I had last words to leave before I knew I was going to be gone, I would make sure that those words would really count for something. That I would save those words and make sure that they were not wasted words. I believe God is the same way. He's talked about marriage. We understand marriage. But he's bringing it to a conclusion. This is the period at the end. The important part. And I believe that God is showing us such a key to the importance of realizing, yes, we're different. But yet understanding how we can meet each other's needs In our differences. In Ephesians 5 verse 33 it says this. Nevertheless, each one of you in particular, so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let me read that again. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular, so love his own wife. As himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In this passage, we see the two distinct needs of male and female, and that is this a lady needs love, and a man needs respect. Husbands, love your wives, wives, respect. Your husbands. So here's the problem. We live in such a love-dominated world. When's the last time you went to the Hallmark and you bought a card that said, I really respect you? They don't have cards of such nature, but it's all about love. It's all about kindness and fond feelings that you have. But nothing really talks about love. We live in a world that has become so love-dominated. And what's happened as a result, the male... The men, we have lost what we need in the mix of it all. Not much is taught, not much is discussed in regards to respect. A woman feels love when she's loved. A man feels love when he's respected. Neither wrong, just different. Thus we have different needs spelled out by God, love and respect. But this is why many of our relationships or our marriages live on the crazy cycle. That's what we want to talk about tonight, the crazy cycle. Because here's the crazy cycle. You've got a sheet in front of you with the crazy cycle on it. But here is the crazy cycle. Without love, she reacts without respect. And without respect, 
He reacts without love. Let me say that one more time. The crazy cycle. Without love, she ain't going to respect him. And if he ain't getting no respect, he's not going to be loving to the one who he feels is disrespectful. And so the cycle or the crazy cycle continues in our life. And I think the lights are coming on in many people right now because we're beginning to realize why our marriages are spinning crazily out of control. Because we're waiting for the other to move. When perhaps we ourselves need to make the first step. You see, when we're living on the crazy cycle, we react negatively to each other. Instead of looking for ways to help each other and build each other and speak life into your marriage, you're looking for ways to destroy your marriage. Oh no, I'm not. Yes, you are. You may not be saying, I want to destroy my marriage. But when you're being unloving to her, and when wives, you're being disrespectful to him, that's exactly what you're doing. You don't have to say it in black and white like that, but your actions are speaking louder than your words. I'm calling here tonight the most mature one. Is it you, the husband? Is it you, the wife? I'm calling for the most mature one who will be willing to step up and say, hold on a second. I'm going to take my marriage off the crazy cycle. Instead of saying, well, hey, if she would respect me, then I would love her. Or instead of saying, well, hey, if he would show me a little bit of love, then I'll respect him. But how dare he thinks I'll do that before that. But being the mature one means what? Giving our spouse what they need, even if they don't always deserve it. That's tough, isn't it? It's tough to be loving, wives, when you feel, or being respectful when you feel your husband's being unloving, and vice versa. But you see, we've got to be the mature ones to step up and break the cycle. We want to wait for each other to move, but maybe we need to make the first move. And even if they don't move, we will see in later studies that we are doing what God has called us to do, and that is to love and respect unconditionally. Because the goal eventually is not to see our spouse standing in front of us, but the goal is to see Christ himself because we're created in the image and likeness of Christ. When we treat our spouse as such, it's literally as we're treating Christ with contempt, disrespect, and being unloving. You see, we have got to start decoding what has been said or done. Because we're male and female, because we've got differences, we see things different, we hear things different, we speak differently. Because the needs we have are different, what happens? We have the tendency to speak in a code. But you see, we've got to start asking ourselves. We've got to start decoding what has been said or done and asking ourselves, is this an attack against our love and respect? Or is it just their way or the only way they know how to respond? It's a good question to consider there. During the Second World War and many wars, the greatest success of any country 
was the fact that they could communicate in a code that the enemy could not decipher or understand. Because you didn't want your enemy to know where you were showing up because they would be waiting there ready to defeat you. So every code or message that was sent was encrypted with a code that the enemy would not know. Unfortunately, our marriages have become that way, that we speak in code so much to each other that the other does not decipher or understand or even know what we have been saying. Let me give you an example. What does a wife mean when she says, you never spend any time with me? What does she mean when she says, you don't spend any time with me? Is she meaning to be disrespectful and condemning to her husband? Is that really what she's trying to say? Or is it a cry out to the one who matters the most in her life as she just wants to experience true love from him and him alone? What do you think? Do you think she's trying to be disrespectful and condemning? Anyone think that? It's a cry, isn't it? It's a cry of desperation. Would you notice me? Would you take time to acknowledge me? Would you just love me? But what about the husband? What does a husband mean when he says to his wife, I don't want to talk about it any longer. Would you just drop it? You see, women can't drop it. And we're going to talk about that Sunday morning. Husbands become like an island. And ladies get in a canoe and they paddle all the way around. Keep hitting and ramming their canoe up against the island. Why? Because they can't stand the fact of being shut out. I don't want to talk about it. Just drop it. They can't drop it. They can't leave it alone. Why? Because they take that as the fact of you being secretly mad at them. They feel that you are blaming them for something and they cannot handle that. And all the ladies said, and all the guys said, help us, Jesus. I don't want to talk about it. Drop it. Listen, wives, when a husband says that, is he saying to you, I don't love you and I don't want to let you in? Or is he just trying to show you his nature, that he has to deal with it in his own way? He doesn't want to talk about it. He's solution-orientated. He's come to his own conclusions. He's dealt with it and he's over it. I think one of the best definitions of men and women I've ever heard is men are like waffles and women are like noodles. If you look at a waffle, there's different squares on a waffle. When a man is watching the TV, he is in his TV square. A lady can't understand when she says to her husband, what are you thinking? And he says, I'm just watching the TV. She doesn't understand that. Because you've got to be thinking something while you're watching the TV. What are you doing? I'm just doing some work. I'm in my work square. Well, what's going on? Work. A woman can't understand that. Why? Because a woman is like noodles. If you've ever taken a pile of noodles and dropped them on the countertop, you will find something that everything is intricately interwoven and connected and tangled into each other. 
When she's watching the TV, she's not just watching the TV. She's doing the kids' homework in her mind. She's thinking about what's got to be picked up at the cleaners tomorrow, what we need from the grocery store. She's thinking about that person who cut her off in the traffic earlier that day and how mad it made her feel. She's thinking about her husband, the jerk he is, how he hasn't apologized for what he did three and a half months ago. Not wrong. Just different. So when a husband says, I don't want to talk about it and drop it. Listen, he's not trying to cut the wife out. It's just his nature. He's dealing with it in his way. But listen, one thing that we will discover is this. It's not good enough for us to say, that's just how I am. Learn to live with it. Because we're making a commitment to each other. And that is this, that we will let each other in. That doesn't mean, ladies, that guys, we're probably going to open up to you and talk to you for hours and hours and hours. But it means that we'll make efforts to let you know that we're not mad. It's nothing to do with you. Just let me deal with it in my own way. It's going to be okay. But you see, here's the deal. When a wife says to a husband, I don't think you spend any time with me anymore. When a wife says, how come you lash out and say, I don't want to talk about it to me. You see, what tends to happen is we decode that all wrong. And we read it to mean that the other is not happy with us or that they're trying to push us away. When really, to be honest with you, it's the complete opposite. It's a cry to be loved. And it's a cry to be respected. You see what happens when we open up our hearts to each other is this. We make ourselves vulnerable. Some people are afraid to make themselves vulnerable in their relationships. Why? Because what if my husband or wife betrays me? What if they laugh at my vulnerability? What if they abuse my vulnerability? I'm opening myself up to them. What if they don't respond in like manner? Have you ever opened yourself up in a relationship and felt totally vulnerable, wondering what the response would be in return? But you see, as we make ourselves open and vulnerable to each other. As we expose the deepest needs that we have, you know what begins to happen? We'll begin to discover through each other what those needs are. And our desire will be to meet that need. So what really is the wife trying to say? What is the husband really trying to say to you? Let me give you a couple of one-liners that I think will really help you. And I know they work. When Kelly and I taught this class in a small group, the number of times the, the couples said they used these lines. It really helps. Wives, learn this, this line and learn to use it. When your husband says to you something and he shuts you down and you feel that he's pushing you out, learn to say this to your husband. Was I unloving in what I just said or did? Because your response sure felt unloving. Sorry, a wife says, was I disrespectful in what I just said and did? Because your response sure feels unloving. 
In the same way, husbands, look at your wives and say to them, was what I said and did unloving because your response sure felt disrespectful. It's amazing when you use questions like that, how it can diffuse a bomb. How it can stop something from exploding because all of a sudden, it's like you're saying, time out, time out, time out. Have you ever watched a game? We need a time out. We don't like the defense. We don't like what they're planning. We need to think about it a little bit. Let's get over the corner and let's discuss our options. That's what we do when we use things like that. Wives, if you feel your husband has been unloving in what he's saying or what he's doing, say, excuse me, sweetheart. Have I been disrespectful to you? Because it sure feels that you've been unloving to me. And vice versa for the guys. It really quenches the fire. It diffuses the bomb. It causes you to stop and think. And you know what you're probably going to hear? No, it's not your fault. I just said it wrong. You've misunderstood me. I love you. As we diffuse it, we'll begin to realize there is a good-willed person under there who's crying out to love, and to be respected. It's so sad that the one we love the most can also be the one that we hurt the most. Remember Jesus? Jesus was betrayed by a kiss, by one who could get through the crowd, one of his own disciples who could walk right up to him, close enough to kiss him. You see, we've got to watch we don't react to our feelings. We must also consider very well the facts. What are the facts? We're male and female. We've got differences. We can so easily be misunderstood in each other. Therefore, we need to take time out and make sure we fully understand what has been said and done. If not, we're going to spin on the crazy cycle. Because without love, she reacts without respect. And without respect, he reacts without love. So let me bring this to a close tonight. There are problems that we will face in marriage. But these problems can be handled correctly when we do these five things. I know there's other things, but these are five main points that I think will really help us in our marriage. Number one, when we are prepared to move first. It's amazing that it's easier for a man sometimes to die for his wife than to say sorry. Seriously, a man would literally die for his wife and it would be easier for him to do that many times than to say sorry. Come on, guys, you know what I'm talking about. How easy it would be for us to correct and handle the problems if we would just be the one who moves first. And let me help you with that. Remember, the most mature, what? Moves first. But don't throw that in your spouse's face and say, I'm more mature than you because I moved first. You can laugh and say people would never do that. Oh, yes, they do. Number two. These problems can be handled correctly when we, number two, quit passing the blame. Quit passing the blame. Well, the reason I'm so disrespectful to you is because you're so unloving. And the reason I'm unloving, therefore, is because you're so disrespectful. When you start to respect me, quit passing the blame. Quit passing the blame. The reality is this. They're not making you be unloving. They're not making you being disrespectful. They're just exposing weaknesses in your life. 
And you're allowing that to come out in your life. So quit passing the blame and take responsibility for your actions. You know how many problems could be solved in a marriage if someone said, I'm sorry? Well, it's not my fault. So it's not my fault, so I shouldn't say sorry. You may not have caused the problem, but I'm sure you didn't help the problem. So apologize anyway. Well, I'm tired of apologizing. I always have to apologize. Well, I guess you're the most mature one. It's okay. Number three. Those problems can be handled correctly when we stop getting so defensive. Too often we can become so defensive that it can be misread as being offensive, attacking. Think what could happen if we softened our defensive reactions. Think how that would break the crazy cycle. Instead of getting so defensive and just shutting down and circling the wagons and saying, that's it, we're in for a fight. Instead of getting so defensive, think what would happen if we softened our defensive reaction. We may have every right to be defensive. But start thinking, if I act in that way, is that going to help or is it going to send my marriage on a greater spin on the crazy cycle? Because remember, without love, she reacts without respect. And without respect, he reacts without love. Number four, when we understand that we are two good-willed people. It's amazing how many people look at their spouse as their enemy. No, they're a good-willed person that wants the same thing as you. Do you think they wake up in the morning saying, I want to make my husband's life hell today? Do you think they wake up first thing in the morning and say, I want to do everything I can to ruin his or her day? No. They want to hurry up perhaps to go to sleep the night before so they can wake up hopefully for a new day for things to change. If people want to live the same way, fighting and being miserable every day, my God, help us. We don't want to live like that. And we've got to realize we're two good-willed people. We want the same things, but we've misunderstood each other because of our differences. And we haven't learned to decode each other. And it helps then to use lines like, was I unloving to you because you sure felt disrespectful in what you said or did? We're trying to achieve the same goals. We've just got to decode each other's response to those. Listen to this one. This is a good one. The problems are going to be handled correctly when, number five, we stop expecting our marriages to be 100% perfect. Your marriage is never going to be 100% perfect, unfortunately. I don't care who has the greatest marriage. I think Kelly and I have a great marriage, but you know what? We're not perfect. You can look at the person who says they've got the greatest marriage, but you know what? There's going to be imperfections somewhere along the line. You know why your marriage is imperfect? Go home and look in the mirror and you'll see why. It's you. You know, I often say this, church is not a perfect place. Why? Because you came. Church was perfect till the people started arriving. But what do we do? Do we look and say, well, I guess our marriage is not perfect. Pastor Philip even said it wasn't perfect. So I guess we'll just have to live with where we're... No, no, no. That's not what we're saying. 
We're just accepting the fact that we're not always going to get it right, and that's okay. But let's say the average marriage is 80% loving and respectful. It's like the 80-20 rule that you hear a lot of. So let's say that the marriage is 80% love and respectful with 20% of troubles. But what happens when you expect your marriage to be 100% bliss is this. That unrealistic expectation poisons the other 80% that could have been enjoyed together. In other words, don't allow the troubles to carry over into the good times and ruin them. Your husband may have said something wrong to you, but that does not make him a wrong person. He said something wrong. Hello? I may take a test and get an F on that test, but that does not mean I'm a failure across the board. Come on, I may be failed that test, but I'm not a failure. Do you see what the enemy tries to do? You may be said something wrong, but it does not make you a failure. We've got to begin to realize that we're not going to be 100% perfect. But what? Don't allow the imperfections to rule and ruin the good times that you do have. See love. Give respect. In saying your marriage will not be 100% perfect, believe me, as I said a moment ago, I'm not trying to be negative, just scriptural. What? Scriptural? Yeah. In 1 Corinthians 7 verse 28, you'll read as Paul says, that if two people marry, they have not sinned, but they will have trouble. Let me say that one more time. 1 Corinthians 7, 28, Paul says that if two people marry, they have not sinned, but they will have trouble. But again, don't let that be your excuse and a settling point or place. As you strive to put your spouse's feelings and needs above yours, yes, you make yourself vulnerable, but open up to the one who can give you in return true love and the true respect that you need. Break the crazy cycle. Take your marriage onto the energizing cycle, which is what we're going to discuss next week. Break the craziness. Be the most mature one. Have realistic expectations. Understand the differences, but yet learn to decode what is being said. You may have many questions. Well, how this and that? I'm telling you, I believe over the next four sessions, and as you go through the study every day, I believe you're going to learn things. I believe the lights are going to come on. You're going to begin to understand that when a husband gives his wife a diet book, a husband, every husband probably does that once in his lifetime. Because he sure learns it's not a good thing. Why? Because when a husband gives his wife a diet book, all she sees and all she hears from that book is, I'm not good enough. And he doesn't love me. The poor guy, women, just decode a second what's just happened. He's heard you for the last month. And every time you've seen that new diet that's been advertised on the TV, you've been talking about how much you want to do that and how much you wish you had that book. And the poor guy's just making your dream come true. But he opens up a can of worms and he is in the doghouse and he doesn't even realize it. 
He's just trying to give you. But all of a sudden, she sees that as being unloving. That she, I'm not acceptable. But what happens if her girlfriend buys her the same diet book? Oh, girl, let's do the diet together. Oh, we can go this way and we can work out and we can do. It's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. In the same regards, when a wife gives a husband a marriage book, all of a sudden he feels disrespected. What's she trying to say? Our marriage is not good enough? No, she's just trying to make our marriage better. But he feels threatened by that. It's amazing, isn't it? Amazing, amazing, amazing. Because what we're going to see, a woman spells love a lot different to a man spells respect. The woman's needs are a lot different to a man's need. But guess what? Not wrong. We're just different. And we've got to remember that God made us by divine plan, not by mistake. He made us male and female and didn't screw it up from the beginning. He made it purposely like that. And God don't make no junk. God does everything perfect. As we close tonight, has anyone got any questions that I could perhaps just answer real quick before we close tonight? Anyone got any questions they would like to ask? Anyone? Yes, Bishop. What does 29 mean? What does 29 mean? But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they have none. (laughs) Good answer there. What you've, got to, what you've got to realize with that is like Danny just said, is what it's trying to show us is it's trying to show us the, the character that needs to be present in our lives. And that is this, that we're to put God first in our lives, that our wives, our spouse, our husbands or whatever, there never should be a God in our lives. They're a gift from God. But what we need to live in our lives is not meaning we live like we have none in the fact of we disown them or discredit them. But we need to make sure that first and foremost, the number one of our lives is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we make him number one, guess what happens to our marriages? Our marriages will change because as we change, God will change our marriages. Anyone else got any questions tonight? If you want to know what verse 30 is, study it at home, Bishop. I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. Anyone else? How many thinks what we've heard tonight is doable? Huh? You don't know the number of times. And and to be honest with you, it's not a a major deal. I'm not one of these people to stand up and say things that's not happened. But Kelly and I have got a great relationship. It's been very, very few times that we have got to a place where we have really even disagreed about something. But it's amazing, just in the few times where we've disagreed, the thought has come to my mind over and over and over again, the most mature one moves first. And it's amazing how easy it is to fight that and to fight against it because you don't want to. You want them to be... And then you suddenly begin to realize, hold on a second, this is a person I vowed to take care of in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, and I want to hurt them. I want to leave them out in the cold. I want them to feel pain. I want them... Come on, we've got to watch because we can be very vindictive in our nature. But yet, what are we hurting? We're not hurting the bully who beats us up at school. We're hurting the one that we've said, God, that's my choice for life. That's who I want to be with.
come on, we've got to take our lives, our marriage off the crazy cycle. And as we begin to move, as we begin to intervene in that area, we'll begin to put a roadblock. Any other questions? Yes, Mr. Huss. I just want to make a comment. Uh, since God uh, is the one that instituted marriage, it does make it a divine thing. But one of the problems, I think, in marriage is when we're unequally yoked together. And if we have a, a problem between the two, sometimes the only solution is let Christ solve that problem. If we try to work it out ourselves, we can't. And, and a lot of times, if, if you are one religion and your, your spouse is another religion, sometimes there's a pulling apart all the time. And Christ sometimes is the only thing to solve that problem. That's why it's so important with the spouse that you find. I know you can get saved after you're married. But it's so important that when you are looking for someone, don't think, well, I'll get them saved when we get married. Life is, uh, marriage is not a solver. I think marriage is a magnifying glass. It doesn't solve the problems. It magnifies the problems. Well, if we just get married, it's going to be okay, and he'll start coming to church and all this kind of stuff. Listen, you've got to look at that from the beginning. Yes, you've got to let God do it. But listen, also, the Bible speaks about that you can win them over by the way you live, by your actions, and by your love. So let's make sure that we're doing everything we can to be Christ-like. I hope you've enjoyed this. We're going to have a lot of fun on this series. Sunday morning, come ready to laugh and cry because we're going to let you have it Sunday morning. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heartseas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.